Masichet Ketubot, Chaf Bet. Our topic today is all about testimony and, and uh, judges and contradictory testimony. We begin with judges. Amar Rabbi Abba, Amar Rav Huna, Amar Rav, you have three judges that sat, sit down in order to ratify a document to make sure that the witnesses are indeed valid. But while they're sitting down and judging, there is uh, some suspicion about one of the judges that he is not qualified to be a judge, something wrong with him. Now, if the other two judges know that this rumor or this challenge is not true, then they can testify and they say, our colleague, this other judge, is kosher, there's nothing wrong. And then they can sit down and sign the ratification document. That is fine. However, once they sign the ratification document, they cannot then afterwards uh, testify about their friend. The reason, according to Rashi, is that once they testify to get, once they all rule together and sign the document together, now they are have a a, a conflict of interest. Um, they are nogea badavad. They don't want to show that they were involved with someone who was an unfit judge, and so therefore they have a self interest to. Uh, testify that he is kosher. And so once they have that self-interest, they are no longer qualified to be witnesses about his character. So um, they cannot they cannot do it after. However, beforehand, before they uh, signed the ratification document, then that's okay because they could always switch out the judge if there's a problem. So they are not no just yet. And therefore, they can testify, no, he's okay. We checked it out. And uh, this challenge uh, to the person's character is not true. And then they could sit down and be a judge together. Good. That's the statement of Rav. We have a question about that. What kind of challenge was given? If someone came and said, oh, this guy is a thief, one of the judges. Well, then, uh, in that case, there's two against two that contradict. There's, I'll say there's two witnesses that say that he is, in fact, a, a thief. And then you have the two judges, his friends, uh, who say he's not a thief. Uh, well, in that case, um, we are. how could we be sure who, in fact, is right? And therefore, we would not be able to use him as a judge even um, before we sign the document. Uh, two against two, so there's no, no proof that he is a qualified judge. If there's a challenge against his lineage, uh, for example, if he's a descendant of an Evid Kenani, who therefore and cannot serve as a judge. Well, in that case, that's just a, a, question, a true or false question. We'll just look into his lineage. It's a fact. It's, it's open to the public record. See who his father is, what, what happened when he was born. And uh, therefore, we're just revealing a fact. And if that's the case, then even after they sign the document, um, even if we didn't check it out before, uh, they all sign. And then afterwards, the other two judges go ahead and look and check it out and say, no, he's kosher. Well, then that would still be fine even after the, the, the signing because we're just revealing that that challenge that someone gave 
was completely false and we could just throw it out and so uh, there wouldn't be any problem. Either way, there would be no difference between before or after the signing. If he's a thief, then that would be a problem even before the signing. If he is of unfit lineage, then uh, there would be no problem even after the signing. So we answer, In fact, there were two witnesses that came and said, this guy's a thief. One of the judges, and the other judges say, you're right, he did steal one time, but he made Teshuvah since then. And so therefore, the judges are not contradicting the first ones. If they're just contradicting, two said, two said he's a thief. The other, the judges say he was never a thief. Well, that's contradictory testimony. I don't know who to believe. And so we would need, you know, more testimony to figure it out. And which we don't have, he couldn't be a judge. But since in this case, the second, the judges, uh, the second set of witnesses who are the judges are not contradicting. They're saying, yes, indeed, he used to be a thief, but now he made Teshuvah. So now he, he's proper to be a judge. So as long as they do that, say that before they sign, that's fine. Uh, but after the sign, then they're already and they cannot uh, testify to that. Next, Amar Bizera, Hamileta Mirabi Aba Shemiadi, Bilav Rabbi Aba Demin Ako Shekhta. Rabbi Zera says, The following halakha I heard from Rabbi Aba, and I also forgot it. So uh, it's, uh if not for Rabbi Aba of Ako, uh, who reminded me of it, uh, I would have forgotten it. What's the halakha? Shilosha Sheshwila Kemeta Shtar, Umet Echad Mehen, Sirikhin Mikta Bemotav Telata Habena, Bechad Letohi. If you have three people, they sat to judge uh, a matter to ratify a contract. And then they sat there, they ratified the contract. But before they got a chance to sign the ratification document, one of the judges died. So now you don't have all three are able to be able to sign it. If one, if a judge died before they even got a chance to vote on it, then you have to get another judge because they didn't vote. But here they voted on it, but they just need to issue a document that the person can use as proof for the future. Uh, so that's fine. As long as they voted on it, then he died. So it is ratified. But on the ratification document, they have to write that we were three people, but one is no longer, one died. Because uh, if they don't write that, then someone will look at it and say, I guess there were only two judges present. Well, that's not good enough to have only two judges. You want to have three judges. So they're saying we are two judges that are testifying that there were three judges, voted on it, it is ratified, and it is a good, uh, it is a good document. Okay, that's the Bizeraz. Or an alternative formulation, you could write that this shtar came before us, the Bet Din. That's good enough because everybody knows a Bet Din means at least three judges. So as long as you write that, even if there's only two judges that sign it in the end, people will figure, oh, there were three. And maybe one died, one wasn't around, and only two signed. That's sufficient. Now we question of Nachman Bar Yisraq. Wait, maybe it's an impudent court. Because Shemuel said that if two sit down to judge, their judgment is a valid verdict, except that we call it an impudent court. I mean, he's not supposed to sit down with two. He's supposed to have three. If he did two, we make fun of the court. We say this is a, not, not, a, uh, not an upstanding court, but nevertheless, it is valid. 
<clears throat> and so therefore, if someone just writes that it was in front of a betin, it doesn't necessarily mean that there were three judges. Could be that two judges uh, impudently uh, judge the case and then sign the document. So it's not sufficient to prove that it's three just to write betin. Maybe you have to write like Rabbi Zera said that we, there were three explicitly. Uh, and the answer is, No, we write in a document that this was seen in front of the Betin of Rav Asher. For example, Rav Asher, or someone else who is upstanding, who we know is worthy. If, uh, if uh, Rav Asher uh, if was his, in his Betin, then surely there would not be two, there would be three. Okay, Hold on, maybe... The rabbis in the court of Rav Asher, Rav Asher could mean he's there or could mean he's not there anymore. Maybe it's the, his students that are sitting there in, and still called the court of Rav Asher. And it could be that they say, well, we think like Shemuel, that Shemuel's right, and two is enough. Even though most other people would disagree and say you need three. And so they, write, they may write Bedina de Rabbana Asher and still have only two and it wouldn't be good. No, we fur- further writes, and Rav Asher told us that this is, uh, uh, instructed us in this matter, that this document is good. So if Rav Asher himself was involved, then surely Rav Asher would make sure that there were three judges. So if there is some situation like that, where we have, we know that the Betin was uh, overseen by someone who would require three judges, that's enough to say it was in the betting of that person. Uh, but otherwise, we'd have to write in it that there were, in fact, three judges present. Next Mishnah. So this continues the previous Mishnah and the same principle that if the same person says something that makes themselves prohibited, then they are believed to then follow up on that and say something that makes them makes themselves permitted. So here's two examples. One is what well, the woman says, I was married, but now I'm divorced. Then she, we believe her, and she, and we allow her to marry a second guy because she, it's amigo. She could have, just, she could have came and said, "I was never married." If a woman comes and says, "I was never married," we believe her. She doesn't have to bring proof that she was never married. Um, so therefore, we believe her also when she says, "I was married," so that's um, prohibited. But I was divorced. That she gives herself the permission. However. If we have independent proof from two witnesses that she was married at some point, and now she comes and says, yeah, I know Estra was married, but I was divorced, she is not believed, because then she does not have the Pesha Saru Peshi argument. Instead, she has to bring a get or witnesses that say she was, in fact, divorced. Second example, If a woman who comes and says, I was taken captive, but... Uh, I was not violated while I was taken captive. She is believed and she can even marry a Kohen. She could have said, I was never taken captive. And so that we wouldn't know, we would assume that she's a Betula and she's totally fine to marry a Kohen. 
Uh, but if there are witnesses that she was taken captive, then we presume that the captors probably violated her, and she's therefore prohibited to a Kohen. If she then comes and says, yeah, I was captive, but uh, uh, nothing happened. I, I was, uh, no, no, they did not violate me. And she's not believed because we have to presume that she was, and she doesn't have this Migo argument. However, if those witnesses came after she already married, then uh, she does not need to leave. In other words, uh, first, uh, either example, uh, she came and said, I was married, but I was divorced, and there's no witnesses. So we say, okay, fine, go ahead and get married. She gets married. Afterwards, witnesses came and said, oh, she was, she was married once before. Well, and it doesn't undo her argument. It doesn't undo uh, um, her believability to, to the extent that we would make her get divorced. Because at the time, she had a Pesha Asad Peshitir argument and we permitted her, then she can remain married based on that. Good. Gemara, Amarav Aseh. This principle that if someone says something that prohibits themselves and then that permits themselves, we we believe them. What's the proof from the Torah? The answer is context in is Mosi Shemra. We're talking about a man who uh, who marries a woman and then uh, the next day he comes and says Alilotevarim. He says there, there there was no blood. He's lying. Really, he just doesn't like her anymore. He doesn't want to pay the ketuvah. And so he says, I didn't find it. So the father of the woman, uh, of the bride, comes and says, Et biti, I gave my daughter to this man. And now he is lying and giving false accusations that she was not a betula. That's the context. Now, uh, look at his language. He says, I gave this bride to this man. Now, by saying that, he is admitting that she is prohibited. Um, uh, so, laish asara, hazeh hitira. So, when he says, I gave my, my, my daughter to a man, if you just stop there at the word laish, so now we, we learn that a, a father has the ability to marry off his daughter. And by doing that, if he says he did that, we believe him. And now, if he just says that, I married off my daughter, so now we know she's married to someone, and therefore that will make her prohibited to all men in the whole world. But then he adds the word hazeh to this man. By saying this man, that means her, his daughter is permitted to that man. Okay, so when he first says laish, if we stop him right there, even though it's all one sentence, if we just freeze the recording there, he says uh, that makes her prohibited to all people, all men in the world. But when he says hazeh, it makes her permitted. So that's a good example in the Torah of hapeshasad, huapeshitir. We believe a father to say that his daughter is married off, Prohibited, but is married off to this man, so she's per- permitted to that man. Okay. Lama Then the Gemara asks, why do I need a pasuk about this? It's simple logic. If he's the one that said she's prohibited, so certainly he can also say that she is permitted, because otherwise he could have just said nothing. Rather, you know why we need this pasuk where it says haish hazeh, and you could have just said haish. Why do you need the word hazeh? It's to teach us something else. What Rav taught us. 
So the full statement is, how do you know that a father is believed when he says, I married off my daughter? How do you know that he even can marry off his daughter? So uh, from here that he says, if he says, I gave my daughter to, uh, to this guy. So a father has a right to marry off his daughter. Now, the word hazeh, why do I need the word hazeh? That's our question to begin with. It's to teach us that this law of Mosi Shemra, if the, if the father comes and says, this guy, this husband of Mosi Shemra, she really was a bitullah, he's lying. He gets certain punishments. For example, he gets lashes and he has to pay and he has to stay with her if she wants to, and uh, so on. So that applies to the husband, but it does not apply to a yavam. In other words, if she gets married and then the husband dies that uh, uh, at the wedding, right after the wedding, the husband dies and she falls to a yavam. And then the yavam is with her as bi'ah and the yavam says, oh, she was not a bitula, but the yavam is lying. He's Mosi Shemra. The yavam does not get the punishments of a Mosi Shemra. He does not get lashes as the groom would if he was Mosi Shemra. So that's why we need the word Hazeh. And in fact, you're right, we don't need the word Hazeh to teach us the principle of Pesha Asaru That is simple logic. You don't need a Pasuk to tell you something that you could figure out by yourself. Baraita, tenura banan, haisha shamra eshet ish ani, fechazavra amra penuya ani, So other cases of similar pesha, sao peshitir. If a woman says, I am married to a man, and then she says, No, I changed my mind, I'm single. Right, and meaning not, this is different from the case of the Mishnah, which says, I'm divorced. She doesn't say, she, was, she says, I was always single, I was never married. Versus, I'm not married, then she changes her tune, and she says, No, I'm not married. She is believed. Okay, so now it's same, same idea. She said she herself made herself pro, 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 prohibited, so she could make herself permitted. But we ask on that. Hold on, after she said, she is making herself prohibited. So that's it, and she stopped, right? And so now she is, she has a chazaka being prohibited. How can she go now and undo it, right? It's different from the previous statement where she says, I was married, but I'm divorced. So then both can be true, right? She was married, she, was, she is divorced, that's fine. But here, she's just contradicting something she already said, but the first statement makes her prohibited. So who gives her a right now to come in and, and, and change her mind, change the facts? So Ravuna says, for example, Amatla is the same word as Hebrew mashal. It means a story. It's when she gives a story for her words. She explains why she changed her mind. Yeah, I, I was lying the first time, but I have a reason why I didn't say that. I was, I was confused. I was thinking about something else. We're going to see an example of uh, why a woman would uh, claim that she was married and then, and then, uh, and then say something different. It's, if it's a good, if it's a valid reason that she changed her mind, then it's okay. We believe her. Tanya Nemehachi and the Braita says this exact same law. Amra eshet ishani vechazav amra penuyani enan emenet vim natna matlalid bareha neemenet. Braita says if she says I am married and then she says no no I was always single, she is not believed on a face value. But if she provides a story, a rationale for why she changed her statement, then it's okay. And here's a good example. 
Achat Gedola, Shaita Gedola Benoi. There was a, a, a woman who was big. Doesn't mean literally big, it means she was important, well-known, and she was big in beauty, outstanding in beauty. And all the guys were jumping to try to, uh, to marry her. Everybody was going, offering a ring. Everybody wanted to go out with her. She wanted to, all these suitors to go away. They were annoying her. So she would make an excuse. She would say, oh, I'm, mikudeshet. I'm already engaged. And so then they would leave her alone. One day she finally found a guy that she actually liked and she uh, permitted herself to, uh, to she received Kiddushin from him. The rabbis came to say, came and said, what's going on here? First you said you were Mikudeshet and now you're accepting Kiddushin? How could you do that? She said, before, there were these low lives who were coming to marry me. So I had to shake them off. So that's why I said that I am already betrothed. But now, a good guy came. So now I allowed myself uh, and accepted Kiddushin from him. Okay, fantastic story. Uh, this is like, you know, today, guy asks out a girl, he says, oh, I'm, I'm going out with someone already. Maybe it's not true, but she wants some uh, a good excuse. So we see that there's an ancient story, the same thing, nothing changes. And in fact, this very halacha came before the Rav Acha, um, Sar Habira, and uh, in Usha, Usha, town up in the north, and, uh, and, and the sages there decided if she has a good story, an explanation, like the one here, then we do in fact believe her. Great. Be'aminesh Shemuel Merav. A similar case. What if a woman comes and says, this is Shemuel asks Rav, colleagues, and uh, if a woman says, I'm Tameh, she says she's Nida, she tells her husband, Nida, sorry. But then uh, a little while later or the next day, she says, actually, Tehora. So she just changed. She didn't go to the mikveh in the meantime. She just uh, changed her mind. Can we believe her? Do we say, So she made herself prohibited. Now she's permitted. On the other hand, this, she's contradicting herself. Now she has a chazaka, she's tamek. Can we believe her that she says, Tahor? Same thing here. If she has a good explanation, a story, a rationale, why she lied in the first place and now she's telling the truth, then we can believe her. Shemuel said, thank you for teaching me this Rav, and Shemuel wanted to make sure to remember it. So he repeated this 40 times, right? He's making sure, repeating, repeating 40 times so that he gets it right. However, nevertheless, even though Shemuel theoretically agreed with it and really thought it was important halakha that he had to remember, nevertheless, when it happened to himself, he did not follow it. The, the Bavli here doesn't give the story, but in Talmud Yerushalmi explains the full story that one time Shemuel, uh, Shemuel's wife told him, uh, sorry, not tonight, honey, I am Nida. 
She said Nida. Then the next day she said, no, no, I, was, uh, I wasn't Nida. Uh, it's actually, I'm, I'm Tehora. She said, why did you say Nida? She says, I was just too tired. <laughs> so she, she didn't want him to, to bother her. So she said Nida, but that's a good explanation. She says, she explained why she lied. And so therefore she would be believed to tell the story according to Rav. That's permitted. Shemuel, nevertheless, was wanted to be Mahmid. Uh, uh, he couldn't bring himself uh, to that, and therefore he, uh, he required her to go to the mikveh uh, again. All right, interesting. Again, something's never changed. Teno Rabbanan, Shenaim Omerim Met, Shenaim Omerim Lomet, Shenaim Omerim Netkasha, Shenaim Omerim Lonitkasha, Harezo Lotinase. The following Braita we saw back in the 10th Perek of Masechet Yevamot. Uh, so, what is it doing here? Uh, well, it's a similar case of contradictory testimony, then we have to figure out what we're going to do. So, if two witnesses came and said uh, to a woman, Your husband died. So therefore she can get remarried. But two other witnesses say he didn't die. Or if two witnesses say this woman was married, we know she was married, let's say. Two, two, two witnesses say, say she was divorced. And two say, no, she was not divorced. She cannot remarry. So in all these cases, she, we do not let her remarry because we have two against two. So we, have to, we need further verification to allow her to remarry. That's the chatechila. But um, if, if she already got married, if she was already married, then we do not make her get divorced. Okay. Rabbi Menachem Bar Yosef Omer Teseh. Rabbi Menachem Bar Yosef is more machmir and says that even if she was already married, we have to we make her get divorced uh, because now we have this this problem this uh, two against two and so we can't be sure. Now he said he qualifies the statement. When do I say that they have to that that she has to leave her sec the second husband? Only if the witnesses these two sets of witnesses came first and therefore um, show there was a problem and the chetechila she's not allowed to to marry. And if she goes ahead and gets married any goes goes ahead and gets married anyway against the the, the recommendation of the betin, then we make her get divorced because what are you doing, right? You you knew that there was a doubt, so then you have the penalty. You have to get divorced. But let's say um, her husband went away for a while. She assumed he was dead. She gets married. And then these the witnesses come and say, oh, actually he was alive, and it's two, two against two. Um, if she's already married, then she can remain married. Uh, so that's Rabbi Menachem Bar Yosef. He's not totally machmir, he's only machmir in that in-between case. According to that, Tanakama would say, even after the witnesses came, she shouldn't get married. But if she gets married, even after the witnesses come, but the Avad, we don't make her get divorced because we're uncertain. So don't act on uncertainty. But if she's already married, again, don't act on uncertainty to separate. Okay, so that's the machlok between them. Now, we have a challenge to Tanakama. Um, you're telling me that she doesn't have to get divorced, right? She can stay. Actually, it's a question to Rabbi Menachem Bar Yosef also, but a big, bigger question to Tanakama. 
um, that uh, after all, you have two against two, so which means that she herself and he himself are all going to be uncertain whether they sinned and did eshet ish or not, because we don't know if the husband is alive or not. Nobody knows. Nobody knows if she got a, a divorce or not. And so therefore, uh, this is a general rule. If someone does an action that might be a sin of karet, for example, they ate some fat, but they don't know if it's forbidden or, or permitted fat, then they can't bring a khatat, because you can't just bring a khatat if you don't have to. Instead, you bring an asham talui, uh, meaning I don't know if I need to bring this or not, so you bring this to remove the possibility of guilt until such time as you uh, uh, figure out if you if you definitely need to do it or not. In this case, not only with Shem Talui, that's besides the point. The main point is that it's Safek Eshet Ish, and so therefore this couple cannot remain together, right? Because maybe they uh, they are violating Eshet Ish. So why, how could you say in any case, Lo Teseh, um, if once there are witnesses that say, perhaps she is still an Eshet Ish. That's the question, and the answer is, No, it could be that she married one of those witnesses that said her husband is dead, or that she was divorced. That witness, the witness who says, your husband is dead, or the witness that says you are divorced, they know for sure. They don't have an uncertainty, so therefore they don't have to bring in Hashem Taloi, and they don't have to separate because of Eshet Ish. The Betin has a Safek. Fine, but a person, an individual, only has to bring in Hashem Taloi if they themselves don't know. But this Ed, he testified. He thinks he's telling the truth. So he doesn't have to, he can stay. Now he, that takes care of him. But what about her? She has no, she doesn't know for sure if that, um, if which, uh, of the of the witnesses is telling the truth or lying, so she would have to bring Hashem Talui, and she would have to leave because of Sefek Eshet Ish. And the answer is Belmedet Barili. She says, "I am sure." Somehow she knows that uh, if she was divorced, let's say she would have been there and re- received the divorce paper. And so, while we don't believe her by itself. Uh, that wouldn't be sufficient, um, but she knows, right? Or she somehow she knows that the husband is dead, even though there's no not sufficient testimony for the betin to decide. So if she is sure, then she doesn't have to bring in Hashem Talui, and she doesn't have to leave him because of Safek Eshet Ish. All right, we saw that whole suya back in Yevamot. Uh, there is... Um, uh, good, good likelihood that the sugyal was composed originally here in Kitubot and then transferred to Yevamot, but um, that's for a, a, a longer session. Amar Rabbi Yochanan, Shenayim Omerim Met, Ushnayim Omerim Lomet. Okay, other cases of contradictions. You have two people that say a certain person died and two people say that this guy didn't die. What, how about his wife? His wife cannot remarry. But if she did, uh, then does, does not get divorced. This is exactly the same as what the Braita just said. So Rabbi Yochanan is agreeing here with the Tanakama of the Braita. But he's disagreeing in the second case. Two witnesses say she was married, but she was divorced. And the other two witnesses says she was married and she never got divorced. She's still Eshet Ish. She cannot marry, and if she does marry, she has to get she she has to separate. In other words, in the case of Gedushin, he does he disagrees with Tanakama and agrees with Rabbi Menachem Bar Yosef. So that's the statement of Rabbi Yochanan. Now we have a question. 
What's the difference? How come in the first case of uh, whether he's dead or not, we say she does not bediavad, she she can stay with him. And in the sefa, where we're not sure if she is divorced or not, she has to uh, she has to leave bediavad. Even if she gets married, she has to leave the second husband. What's the difference? We're going to see three answers to this question. Amar Abaye, first answer. We're talking about even though it says Shenayim Omerim, no, uh, change that to uh, one uh, witness said. Uh, and here's the difference. There's a difference between believing one witness regarding the death of a husband and regarding uh, divorce. When it comes to the death of a husband, there's a special law that even though in general, for prohibitions, we need two witnesses. Uh, nevertheless, since we don't want to have agunot, um, and this guy, if he's dead, he's never going to come back. She's going to wait forever. So uh, the Torah says you can believe even one witness. Okay, so one witness says she, he is dead, and the rabbis, it's a good question, is this Rabbanan, the Oraita? Okay, uh, uh, whatever, the, the rabbis say that you can believe them, believe the one witness like two. And this follows the statement of Ula, the Amar Ula. First it says the Rabbanan, and then it says uh, the Torah believes one witness. Okay, whatever it is, uh, the point is that when there is a law that one witness can be believed, that one witness has the power of two. So when it comes to the death of a husband, even though there's only one witness, it has the power of two. Now it's not really the full power of two. If one witness says he's dead and two actual male kosher witnesses come and say he's alive, obviously the two is going to win. But the point is that the one will be stronger than one. One that says he's he's dead it will be stronger than one who says he's alive. So So the witness that says he did not die, that's only like one. And therefore, that one who says he's not dead cannot stand before the two, meaning the one who we treat like two, who say he's dead. And for that reason, uh, in the case of um, in the case of where you have contradictory testimony, one says he's dead, once he's not dead. So if she marries, you don't have to make her leave because she has a more powerful one, one that's like two that say he's dead. Well, now that you say one is like two, then let her let her get married. Even the chetechila, we have one witness that says he's dead. Let her get married, even though this one witness that says is against. The answer is Mishum Dirav Asir. The answer is really, you're right. Technically, she could. But that Pasuk Mishle, remove from yourself a crooked mouth, perverse lips, be far from you. In other words, don't go and get into a situation where people looking at it are going to say something strange here. One says, yeah, one says your husband's still alive and you're still going ahead and getting married. It looks like. You're doing something inappropriate. So keep away from something inappropriate. If there's only one witness, then fine. That he's dead, fine, you can follow that. But if one now one witness comes and says, no good, hold on, go do an investigation, see if you can find out any more information, and don't put yourself into 
this uh, dubious uh, 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 situation. Okay, now, Sefa, that was good for the Resha regarding dead or not, but how about divorced or not? Uh, so, in this answer of Abaye, we're also explaining that to talking about one witness. Uh, so in this case, we uh, they one says that she was divorced. One she, she's not divorced, and they're talking about eshet ish. And here we don't have the special law that regarding testimony of, of a husband's death, we believe one, but rather um, this is just uh, just one witness. And one witness is not sufficient in when you need testimony of two. If two said we saw there was she was divorced, then that's fine. But one, not sufficient. And therefore, um, if she does get remarried, Rabbi Yochanan says, we're going to be machmir in the case of divorce and make her uh, separate from her second husband. Okay, all that is uh, answer number one. Rava has a second answer about why Rabbi Yochanan is more stringent when it comes to dead or not, but lenient, sorry, lenient, whether dead or not, but more stringent regarding divorced or not. He says, No, I'm going to follow the original language of Rabbi Yochanan. He said two witnesses, this way and that way. And he thinks that Rabbi Menachem Bar Yosef's reasoning makes more sense in the case of uh, divorced, uh, question whether divorced or not, but he didn't agree with his reasoning regarding whether the person is dead or not. My tama, what's the difference? Mita ena yechola machashto. Gerushin yechola machashto. Regarding death, she cannot contradict him. Meaning, if she, uh, there, there's two witnesses against two witnesses. Now, if she, she shouldn't get married, fine. But if she goes ahead and gets married, we, uh, we can presume that she did her own investigation because it, she has to be afraid. If he's really alive, he is going to come back. And she uh, is going to come back. And one day he may very well come back and say, hey, I'm here. And then she's going to be in, uh, in big trouble. And she won't be able to contradict him and say, no, no, you're dead. Because he's standing there. He, he's alive. And therefore, she's going to make sure before she gets married in her own investigation that it's most likely that she's dead. So therefore, once if she, she does get married, we're not going to make her divorce. On the other hand, when it comes to uh, uh, divorce, and we have two witnesses say she's divorced. So once she was not divorced, and she goes ahead and gets remarried to a second guy, so she may not do her own investigation. Because she'll think, well, what's the worst that can happen? My husband's gonna, my first husband's gonna come back and say, hey, I never divorced you. She'll just contradict him and say, yes, you did divorce me. And that way she'll, she'll get out of it. And so it's therefore, uh, since she's not as afraid um, um, of, uh, of being contradicted in the case of divorce, she may not do her own investigation. So her claim is less believable. And therefore, we make her uh, separate. So Rabbi Yochanan says, who's stringent, makes more sense to be stringent in the case of divorce. Okay, now, side question on that. Would a woman be so impudent to tell her husband to his face, uh, you divorced me when there's no truth to it? Uh, we have a statement of a woman who says a woman who says to her husband, you divorced me to his face. 
then she's believed because we presume that a woman will not be so impudent to lie right in front of the face of her husband. Uh, most people will, uh, they may do a half lie, uh, and, you know, when it's not so noticeable. Um, if the husband's not around, no, he divorced me, it's okay. But if the guy's standing right there, most people don't have that impudence to just go lie to someone's face. Okay, so therefore she would be believed. So um, in this case, uh, uh, what do you mean? You just said that she would, if he did come back and say, I, I, I never divorced you, she would claim and say, yes, you divorced me to his face and even lie. But Rav Amunah said that we can assume women don't do that. So we answer, Rav Amunah is true only if there's no other witnesses to help her out. Then she's not going to just lie to his face. But if there are witnesses that are uh, supporting her, then yes, she would be so insolent even to lie and say to, to her husband and say, you divorced me. In this case, there are, uh, there's two sets of witnesses. One said divorced, one said not divorced. So because she has that backing, so that'll push her um, perhaps to even lie. And therefore, we have to be more stringent upon her. And if she does marry, uh, according to the Biochanan, she has to get divorced from the second guy. And last answer, Rav Amar, Amre Adim, Achshav Met, Achshav Gersha. We're talking about a case where two witnesses said that he uh, is alive. The other two witnesses, he just died. Or two witnesses say that she never got divorced, but the other two witnesses, she did get divorced and it happened just now, just recently. In that case, So regarding death, we don't know how he died, if maybe he drowned or something. There's no way that, that we can check exactly when he died, right? I mean, if, they have, if we had the body, then we would know. But we're talking about a case where we don't have the body. That's why we have, we're relying on witnesses. And so there's no way to follow up. And it could be that the witnesses are telling the truth. And therefore, we're going to be more lenient in the case of when they say he died. But in the case of, of a get, if they say, oh, she just received her get, then we can tell her this is true what you got your divorce uh, an hour ago or yesterday well then show your get it's very unlikely that she lost her get in such a short amount of time and so therefore Rav said Nabi Yochanan only taught his law when the witnesses that are supporting her say it just happened and so because if it's if it's if she, if they say you just receive a get um, we would expect her to still have the get. The fact that she doesn't have the get uh, makes her less reliable. So if she acts on that and she goes and gets remarried, then we are more suspicious and require her to, to get separate from her second husband. Whereas in the case of, of death, where uh, it could be that he just, he just drowned and we, don't, we can't tell her produce the body because he just drowned. Drowned means we can't recover it and so there's more reason to believe her in that case. Baruch Adonai Amen, Amen.